Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I uh, j- recently had dinner, uh, Jerry and I did, with uh, another a couple of pastors. Um, and, and over the course of dinner, we got to be talking about uh, the, the the way that, you know, pandemic response happened and, you know, various uh, feeding, pro- like way, the ways people uh, provided food for those who were in need. And, and this pastor that we were eating with, Kept referring to the 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 truck uh, that that housed the the food as a reefer truck. So he kept saying, "Well, you know, we had to move the reefer truck, and we had to, you know, it was parked over here, and the reefer truck was in the way, and then this happened with the reefer truck." And Jerry and I, I think <laughs> internally, we're sitting across the table, and, and we just found ourselves chuckling, like. Because every time he said the word reefer, all I could think of was like, you have a truck of marijuana? Like, what? I don't understand. And so after, this went on for a while. He just kept referring to the reefer truck. And and, and after a while, I said, uh, I said, hold on a minute. Uh, what, what, what do you mean here? And I think Jerry even asked, like, what do you mean when you, you say the reefer truck? He said, well, you know, the, the refrigerated truck. And we were like, oh, oh, you kept saying the reefer truck and I didn't know that's what you meant. He said, wait, what What do you mean? What does reefer mean? And at that point, we were like, you know, it's a, sort of a slang term for marijuana. And and so there was this, this great chuckle. But have you ever been in a situation like that where people use this, this a word that, that could mean two different things to two different people. Have you ever been in that situation where there's a misunderstanding uh, over a common word? Have you ever had that experience? I, I, I just think it's, it's really funny. Like, I think there's certainly, we've talked about at times in this church, like, I think a lot of times there, there are words that we just assume everybody knows, and we all are going to use them the same way with the same... Uh, ideas. Uh, you know, one of the words that I think uh, would be helpful within the church to define is what we mean when we say the gospel. People say, you know, you preach the gospel. And I think what we find a lot of times is if we're forced to define those things, we, we find that we actually are using the same word, but meaning different things. You know, one of the words that I think that would be helpful to define in the church is the word discipleship. We all say we want to make disciples. What do we mean by disciples? You know, and I think we use these words, but it's helpful to define them and to say what we mean when we're talking about disciples, for for instance. And so I think this is a fairly common thing. It happens quite often. Uh, and I think uh, today I want to look at one uh, that, that I think is fairly common, not just within the church, but it's this word authenticity. I want to talk today about uh, what we mean by the word authenticity. You know, we started a series uh, last week on our third core value, which if you don't remember, our third core value is we pursue wholeness with authenticity. And last week, I I 
focused on this idea of pursuing wholeness. Like, what do we mean when we say that in the vineyard we pursue wholeness with authenticity? And what I said last week is that when we pursue wholeness, what we're actually pursuing is the shalom of God, the peace of God, the wholeness of God. And in short, what I'm saying is that we pursue the kingdom of God. That when we think about success as a church, when we think about what we're after, what's the measurement of success as a church, we stop short, we, we, we never stop short of the kingdom coming fully. That Jesus said that the kingdom has come when he came the first time, and yet that it would come fully when he returns. And so part of the mission that we're on as people who follow Jesus is to pursue the kingdom. And so when I, what I said last week is that pursuing wholeness means that we're pursuing the kingdom, that in every situation in our lives, that our goal, the measure of success, is nothing short of the kingdom. That we who follow Jesus are to never stop short, never be satisfied with some other measurement of success, that the kingdom is always our measurement of success. And, but, but then when we look at our core values, we, we've got this little qualifier on there, right? We pursue wholeness with authenticity. And I think this word really demands that we define it. You know, uh, years ago, when we lived in Columbus and, and this particular church, uh, Vineyard Altoona, was just sort of a seed that God had planted in the hearts of uh, Jerry and me. We, we sat down to sort of uh, discern uh, what the core values of the church would be. And, and so as we talked about it, one of the things, if you've ever done anything around the, the idea of core values, one of the things that you learn is that it's really um, easy to decide that your core values are going to be something uh, that you aspire to, right? Like, oh, we really want to be people who evangelize. Well, if you don't actually already evangelize, that's not a core value. That's something you aspire to. It would be like an aspirational value. That core values actually are things that you already are at root. These are the things that you inherently will not violate. So as we, as we started talking about core values, one of the things that we wrote down was authenticity. That we as a church want to be authentic. Now, Jerry and I, when we had this conversation and wrote this value down, we understood what we meant by authenticity, that we meant that this that authenticity wasn't a stagnant thing, that it was actually uh, the way we wanted to be as we lived out toward the kingdom. And so we wrote this down, and then we came here, and we started sharing that our core values are authenticity. And I think uh, one of the things that people get a hold of is this word authenticity because it's used in our culture, right? This, this idea of authenticity is common in our culture, right? Our, our culture adopts the word authenticity. That, that interestingly enough, one of the most important things that our culture has, has said you have to be is authentic. And it comes from this idea that we don't, uh, we don't tend to trust people who don't appear authentic. And so today what I want to do 
is describe and talk about what it means to pursue wholeness with authenticity. And so I want to pray before we dive too deeply into this uh, and just ask the Lord to to reveal his heart to us. So would you pray with me and then then we'll sort of uh, dive in deeper. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. And God, as we talk about this word authenticity, God, I pray that you would bring redemption to the word authenticity. God, that we would begin to see authenticity and being authentic in light of the kingdom of God. Lord, would you put it in its proper place for us? And God, as I speak, I pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit. And Lord, that the words that I say would genuinely reflect your heart, God. If I say anything, God, or if I have anything to say that, that is not uh, from your heart, God, I pray that it would, that I just wouldn't say it, that it wouldn't even, that it would fall. But God, I pray that you would give us a glimpse into what it is that you're inviting us into. So come, Lord, enable me to speak as I should, and I pray, God, that you would put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is talk about this idea of authenticity. And before I get in too far, one of the interesting things uh, that I've discovered as we um, talk about values, you know, this is the third series that we've done on our core values. The first two, of course, being the other two core values. One of the things that I've discovered as we talk about core values is that the values we hold as a church can't exactly be summed up in one passage. And you would hope that would be true because it ought to reflect sort of the overarching heart of Scripture, the overarching heart of God, that our values ought not to just be able to be summed up in one verse, but that that the things that we hold near and dear to our hearts actually come out of the, the larger meta-narrative of Scripture. And so that has certainly been true to preach uh, through our values, one of the interesting things that I've discovered, and maybe you've paid, you've caught this, I love to take one passage of scripture, break down the meaning, exposit all of the, uh, the, the stuff, and then apply one passage of scripture. I like to do that. And so preaching through our values actually has been stretching to me because I can't just take one passage I actually sort of have to give you a narrative of Scripture. So uh, I hope you give me grace. Uh, I'm a little out of my comfort zone in these series uh, of describing and preaching through our values. But, but one of the things that I've discovered as we, as we look at this idea of authenticity is you can't just look at one passage of Scripture and say, well, there it is. Jesus says that we ought to act authentically, so go do it. That we actually have to take a, a larger picture of, of what's happening when we look at Scripture. But what I want to start with today is this idea of authenticity, uh, maybe from the perspective of our culture. You know, in our culture, the highest value, one of the highest values that our culture has is to be authentic, right? You see it all over the place. We don't trust people who aren't authentic. And, and what we mean in our culture is that 
what I see on the outside ought to reflect who you are on the inside. That we don't like the idea that perhaps somebody would be something different on the outside than they are on the inside. And so our culture rightly wants people to be, to sort of have integrity, right? To, to all the way through from what we see on the outside to the core of who you are on the inside, we want you to have integrity. We want what we see on the outside to reflect what is true on the inside. And interestingly enough, this isn't a bad thing. I think we sort of get caught in this idea sometimes that, uh, that whatever our culture desires or, or, or aims for has to be wrong. But Jesus himself also desires this. That what is true on the inside is also true on the outside. That what we see on the outside is an accurate picture of who we are on the inside. So much does Jesus care about this. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking uh, to, to Pharisees. And here's what he says. I just want to read some of these to you. They're, they're, you know, my, my Bible has the heading, Seven Woes on the teacher of the law, uh, Teachers of the Law and the Pharisees. But listen to what Jesus says here. I'm just going to read some of these to you. Verse 13 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He says, you hypocrites. Or, or, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over the land and sea to win a single convert. And then when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus is confronting this idea of hypocrisy, right? That, that something about the outside and the inside doesn't match. Or let's skip down to, uh, to verse 25 of chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Keep on reading. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus is calling out religious people whose outside doesn't match the inside. And I think our culture has put their finger on it. Our, our culture has said, we are sick of people not actually being who they say they are. And this isn't a bad desire. The problem that we have in our culture is not that people want authenticity, that's a, a, a biblical pursuit. The problem that we have in our culture is that we have made authenticity the goal. That the, the measure of success in our culture is that one is authentic. Anything in our culture is, almost anything in our culture is acceptable as long as you acknowledge that that's who you actually are. That the outside matches the inside. You can be an angry person and our culture will give you a pass so long as you go, you know, I, I just, I'm an angry person. I know that I'm angry. And culture will give you a pass. You can be a jerk. And people might not like you, but if you will stand up and say, you know, I'm a jerk sometimes, 
People are okay with that. You can get a pass on almost anything in our culture so long as you acknowledge authentically that that's who you are on the inside. Here's the problem with that. It creates confusion. If this is the goal, there's no aspiring to any other value. There's no aspiring to live a different way. If you do or don't, really doesn't matter. So in our culture, we've elevated authenticity to the level of God. To be authentic is to be fully human. And the problem is, in so much of our debate now culturally around sexuality even, as long as you authentically express what you feel like on the inside, culture says that's great. And we're, we have to just believe that that's, you know, that's just who you are. I don't know about you, though. One of the things that I've discovered is, over time, who I am, what I desire, what I feel is constantly in flux. And so to be authentic means today I'm one person, tomorrow I'm a different person, two years from now I'm a different person. If we make authenticity the goal, we are going to constantly change what success is. To be a fully-fledged human, a fully-functioning, completely self-actualized human is constantly in flux. And the problem is, is because culture has created this idea that all it takes to be fully human is to be authentic, to fully express internally or externally who we are, uh, who we feel like we are internally. But one of the things that we said last week is that as followers of Jesus, our goal is the kingdom. That our pursuit as followers of Jesus is nothing short of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And one of the things I said last week, which I think uh, bears repeating, is that the kingdom of God makes the goal uh, 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 far higher than we could possibly imagine. That if we don't pursue the kingdom, what we end up pursuing is whatever makes us comfortable or whatever we can conceive of. And if you, didn't, if you didn't catch that message, it's on the podcast. You can listen to that message. But the invitation of Jesus is far greater than we could possibly imagine. I mean, Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, 33, he says this. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so Jesus says that if you want to be fully human, if you want to live a fully kingdom life, uh, if you want to live a full life, if you want to be a, a, a full human being, that the way you do this is that you seek first the kingdom of God. You seek first the righteousness of God. You seek first the way God desires life to be. And here's the thing. The picture of that is impossible. Have you ever thought about that? The picture of what Jesus invites us into in the kingdom is impossible. That there's no way we can do it. Let me just explain this a little bit to you. In the Old Testament, you know, after the fall, we talked about this last week, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they choose not to trust God and they choose to trust themselves and sin enters the world 
and things spiral out of control, right? But God, in his great mercy, he doesn't abandon human beings. He doesn't say, well, that didn't work and give up on us. He actually pursues intimate relationship with humanity. And the way he does this is he calls this nation to himself, right? The nation of Israel. And so he he chooses this nation. He rescues this nation. And then he says, you are going to be for me a chosen people. And the purpose of the nation of Israel is to demonstrate into the world what God is like. That people would come into relationship with God by seeing how Israel relates to God. And so he gives these, after he saves them, he gives the Ten Commandments and he says, if you'll live life this way, if you'll live life according to these principles, these, th- th- this way of living life, the world will see what I am like and I will have relationship with the world. And then you see the rest of the Old Testament. We sort of follow Israel in their quest to try to live out this life. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but Israel doesn't do a very good job. That God has handed Israel the way to live life in a kingdom perspective. And they fail over and over and over. And, you know, when you get to the prophets, what you find is that God's judgment on the nation of Israel is because they didn't reflect his justice. They didn't reflect his mercy. They didn't reflect his righteousness. That they pursued selfish gain. The things that we've been invited into as part of God's family are impossible because the nation of Israel tried to live that way. I don't know if you could count it as trying, I guess, but they failed miserably at reflecting the reality of God into the world. Friends, we can't possibly live the life that God asks us to live unless God does it. You see, Jesus had to die because you and I, on our own, make nothing but a mess. We are all broken. On our own, all we can do is be selfish. All we can do is add sin on top of sin and add brokenness on top of brokenness. Our justice is not God's justice. Our righteousness is not God's righteousness. And as as I said last week, we pursue a measure of success that we're comfortable with or that we can conceive of, but that's far less than God calls us to. I mean, just think about like, God calls us to to love our enemies, right? Jesus gets in, in, uh, in, in Matthew, Jesus starts talking about loving our enemies, right? How many of you have ever actually tried to do this? I mean, think just for a minute who your enemies might be. I mean, if you identify as a, you know, one political party or the other, your enemies often are the other political party. How many of us on our own can love those people? Just think about who your enemies are. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can't actually do this. It's impossible. The kingdom life is impossible 
unless the Spirit of God lives in you and empowers you to do it. We need to understand this because here's what happens. Let me tell you what happens. And this is what the world rejects a lot of times when it comes to the church. It's not that we have this idea that life should be lived higher that the world rejects. It's that we pretend that we have somehow already achieved it. That somehow we actually are that. And as soon as the world discovers that we're not, they say, well, you're a hypocrite. It's not that the way that God calls us to live life is wrong. It's that the world rejects how we do it. And part of the problem is that we have not acknowledged that we can't do it. You and I can't do it. You and I cannot be the generous people that God calls us to be because, unless we have understood that it's impossible unless Jesus does it for us. That until we understand that we were so sinful that Jesus had to die, but we're so loved that Jesus laid down everything to die on our behalf, we can't be the kind of people that God invites us to be. Israel tried over and over and over again. We can't do it. The picture of the kingdom that gets painted through scripture is impossible unless Jesus himself does it. If we hold authenticity as the goal, we can set whatever the marker is, right? It doesn't really matter what kind of lives we live. But because we hold the kingdom of God as the goal, we understand that we've actually been invited to live a different kind of life. But it requires something of us. And that's where this word authenticity comes in. That the invitation is to live an authentic life, but not to stop an authentic life, but to live an authentic life that shapes how we pursue the kingdom. That our goal as followers of Jesus is the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Nothing short of that. And yet it demands that we live a life that's authentic, that says we can't do it. That if Jesus doesn't do it, it doesn't happen. And so, friends, the reason the word authenticity is attached to this value, that we pursue wholeness with authenticity, is because authenticity ought to make us humble. That when we're authentic people, we say, here are the areas where we fall short of the kingdom of God. And we own that, and we don't hide it. And yet we pursue the kingdom. We live in constant pursuit of the kingdom of God. While at the same time acknowledging that we fall short. Because here's the thing. As we pursue the kingdom and acknowledge that we fall short, God gets the glory. I want to read some, just jump to to 2 Corinthians here. And I want to read sort of how Paul talks about the way he lives life. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, 
He's talking about uh, this battle that he's having uh, with these super, these people who claim to be super apostles who follow him and sort of undo uh, the work that he does in all of his church planting, right? Uh, and, and, and so these super apostles are boasting in their abilities. And here's what Paul says. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder. And then here's where he turns it. He says, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And he keeps going. He says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? All this Paul is talking about weakness. He's talking about the way that he can't do it. And here's what he says, verse 30 of chapter 11. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There's this level of authenticity that is required as we pursue the kingdom. Because what authenticity does when we pursue the kingdom is it acknowledges that you and I can't do it. That the vision God has given for our lives and for this world is so far beyond our own capacity to make it happen. And if we will authentically say, here's where I'm short. Here's where I don't live up. What Paul says is, Jesus gets the glory. That when we're willing to acknowledge and account for the fact that we can't do it, that we fall short. When something then happens, the only way it happens is that Jesus makes it happen. He says this, if he goes on to chapter 12, he says, uh, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think of more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. What Paul is saying is that as long as it's possible for me to do it, Jesus gets robbed of glory. But the minute I am authentic, the minute I begin to show how it is that I fall short of the ways that God has called me to be, when something happens, when transformation happens, Jesus gets the glory because there's no way I could have done it. Here's the deal, friends. If we make authenticity the goal, we become the hero. But if we pursue the kingdom authentically, Jesus is the hero. And as I read scripture cover to cover, Jesus is always supposed to be the hero. He's the king. I'm not. We pursue wholeness with authenticity because what we believe is that in authenticity, we are humbled and Christ is exalted. If anything happens in and through the vineyard, there's no way it could have been us. It had to be Jesus. That's what authenticity does for us. Authenticity acknowledges how we fall short so that Christ receives the glory as we pursue the kingdom. If we make anything else the goal, Christ is robbed of the glory that he deserves. It becomes just some great idea we had and we get the glory. But if instead we acknowledge the ways that we can't do it, we magnify the ways that Jesus moves in the world. And friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live any life in this world that could be uh, explained by my abilities. I want to live a life that's marked by the power of the kingdom of God. We in the vineyard here in Altoona, we, we pursue wholeness with authenticity because it's our desire to see the kingdom of God come fully and for God to get the glory he deserves. I don't want to rob God of glory. I don't think you do either. The way forward, friends, is authenticity. You know, there's a there's a really, uh, for those of you who have been through faith walking, or I guess it's emotionally focused now, there's, there's a mechanism that, uh, that the uh, emotionally focused formation uh, course teaches that I think is so powerful. It's this, this idea of a transformation conversation. And the way a transformation conversation works is to be completely authentic about where you are now. But it doesn't just stop there. A transformation conversation is an authentic uh, an authentic representation of where we are and who we are now. And side by side, we, we portray a picture of the kingdom reality that God desires for us. And so we hold up who we are, but we hold up who Christ has called us to be, and we explain how Jesus is making us that person. The transformation conversation. It's so powerful. 
Because at the same time, it holds up the kingdom as the goal, and it holds up my inability to reach the kingdom, and it describes how Jesus, through his power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is making me into the kind of person that he desires me to be. It's so powerful. Friends, my encouragement today is that we would surrender our hope of being the hero and that we would pursue the kingdom authentically, that Christ might be magnified. Because authenticity is supposed to humble our pursuit of the kingdom. And it's humility that it's actually designed to produce. Would you take that challenge you, you, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people might be afraid to pursue authentic, uh, authenticity, right? We sort of see this, uh, this idea of being vulnerable and being, being willing to share the ways that we don't measure up. We sort of see that as sometimes as weakness. And it's sort of scary, right? Like somehow we're going to lose standing or, or uh, be thought less of. But friends, all it does when you're vulnerable is it makes a connection and it acknowledges the fact that Jesus has to intervene for anything to happen. And there's nothing I want more for this body of believers, this body of people who are on a pursuit of the kingdom, than for us to give God the glory he so deserves, that we would be completely honest about who we are and yet unashamedly pursue the kingdom. That's what I want us to be. And I think that's what God desires us to be. And so friends, I want to invite all of us in this moment to allow God to search our hearts. There are places where we have kept things hidden. There are places where we've sort of allowed ourselves to create a false narrative about who we are, that, that we portray something into the world that's not true about who we are. And I want you just for a minute to allow God to search your heart, that you would confess those ways. See, the Bible talks about confession as a way to free yourself from the sinful ways of being. It's not a, a shame thing. It's not a, um, a condemnation thing. That confession is agreeing with God about the ways that you have been. But God's desire is not to leave you in that, but his desire is to forgive you and to restore you. So what I want to do is allow you uh, some time to sit before the Lord, to hold the way that you have lived life before the Lord, to confess to him and allow him to heal you, allow him to make you into the person that you're becoming. And so, Lord Jesus, we do just acknowledge that it's, it's often our desire to hide. It's often our desire to put on uh, an exterior image of how we think people want us to be or how we want to be seen. And yet, God, you desire to see us actually transformed. 
And so we offer to you, Lord, all of the ways that we have attempted to make ourselves look better than we are. And God, I pray by the, the, by the blood of Jesus that you would forgive us. God, that you would renew us, that you would restore us. And Lord, that you would empower us to walk into the wholeness that you desire for our lives. God, I pray that we would be able to authentically display a reality uh, that right now we only hope for. Lord, would you change us from the inside out? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.